Hey guys, this is Rich Bokini. You might remember me as Kevin Owens punching bag on SmackDown. You're listening to the whole rough and show, the only podcast that calls it right down the middle. And now, the wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. The whole refin show. Welcome back to the whole Reppin show, the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. And we are so stoked to have you here for episode 137. I am Darren Beasley. And I am Perry Smith. And we are here and we are live. We're not live, but we're here. (laughs) That's important is we're not not here. We are present and accounted for. We counted one. Me, I'm one. You, you're two. That's two. We are present. We can. You can open us on Christmas morning. Um, hey, you know what? <laughs> every day, every new day is a gift. That's why they call it the present. Oh, that's nice. I like that. <laughs> hey, every day I wake up without dirt on my face. That's a good day. Hey, every day is a winding road, okay? I, I get a little <laughs> bit closer. Thank you, Cheryl Crow. You're welcome. Uh, no, no, I'm Perry Smith. I just said that. Oh, oh, right. All right, sorry. It's not the whole reference show with Darren Beasley and Cheryl Crow, uh, the <laughs> artist formerly known as Mrs. Lance Armstrong. Yeah. Armstrong. I almost said Lance Bass, but that would have been very... <laughs> <laughs> that would have been very off base for a number of reasons. That, that would, yeah, that, no, no, Bass, Bass. His name was Lance Bass, not Lance Bass. Uh, no, that would have been very interesting uh, for for several reasons. Uh, yes, mostly because Lance Bass, as far as we know, yeah, has two testicles. Um, all right. <laughs> so, hashtag, dear listeners, we are so stoked. We're so stoked. Just like. Undone the sweater song. We're so stoked. Uh, Gonna be there. Oh man, it's so great. Yeah. (laughs) Um, See you later. Um, So, which, by the way, by the way, by the way, well, on on that very quickly, when I saw Weezer two nights in a row live at the uh, the Gibson Amphitheater at Universal City, R.I.P. Gibson Amphitheater, and I hope you guys enjoy Harry Potter Land because that's where that went. Um, I saw Weezer two nights in a row. The first night they played all of the Blue Album. Second night they played all of Pinkerton. Uh, but the first night when they played Blue Album, when they got to uh, what is that sweater song? Yeah, um, yeah undone. Well, undone. They, yeah. Parentheses. The sweater song. The sweater song. Just like Metallica's Sanitarium is actually called Welcome Home. Parentheses Sanitarium. Um, See, that song is definitely not Welcome Home. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so anyway. Uh yeah, so I they got to that song and the uh, the guitar player does that whole bit where he's on the phone like he he does all those oh. yeah so that's in there they they include that with it so I appreciate that's that fantastic Brian Bell yeah uh, shout out to Brian Bell uh, talk about uh, that dude found maybe maybe Ponce de Leon and Los Conquistadores did not find the Fountain of Youth in La Florida but I think Brian Bell did because uh, that dude. Looks exactly the same as he did in 1994 when the Blue Album came out. Absolutely. And if somebody tells me that the Blue Album came out in 1993, then I will fight you. Um, all right. 
So, right. here we are. It's episode 137. 13-7. Uh, that that Weezer concert is that though? I thought first of all, I thought you were gonna say when you said two nights in a row. I thought you were gonna say two nights ago. No, and I was no, like, no. oh, Weezer two nights ago? No, no, that, that that was some time ago. That was probably back in twenty uh, twenty twelve. So that that was a while ago. Which sounds like the future. <laughs> I know. I don't even don't even get me started on where the last ten years have gone. Right. But was that the is that the show where you hung out with uh, Shazam? Yes, right? yeah, Zach Levi. He was there. <laughs> he was there both nights, and he hit on my then girlfriend uh, in front of me. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, well, it, it wasn't. It wasn't so much like, "Hey, ditch the ditch the loser and get with a hero." It wasn't that, but it was just like he called he he called my girlfriend cute, like in like a very like like, "Hey, now, calm down." And he like I think Tangled was in the had just premiered that like that night. Like it was. Doing really, he was a voice in Tangled, the animated Oh, okay, movie. I was about okay. to say, how does that relate? Okay, now he was a voice, he looked at me like, huh? No, yeah, so he had a movie in like the, you know, the theater's doing really, really well. He's at a, he's at a, a, a concert of a band he really enjoys, so he was probably feeling like, I could do whatever I want. So he was like, uh, like, he called uh, my girlfriend like attractive or something like that, and... And I was like, all right, easy, Chuck. I kept calling him Chuck because he was on that show, Chuck. And, yes. and I felt bad, but uh, he did remember my name on night two. He said goodbye, Perry, which I appreciated. He remembered my name from the introduction the night before. So anyway. Uh, well, I appreciate the fact that he remembered your name, but you called him Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for what it's worth, here we are seven years later, and I referred to him as Shazam! Yes, so, uh, yes, yes. He, he, despite what he might tell you, he has uh, marginal fame because I don't know his real name. Um, all right. Zach so, Levi. Zach Levi. That, that is his real name. I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. Okay. Not Zachary Quinto. No, that's enough. That, that's Spock in the newer Star Trek movies, yeah. I that's believe. A made, that's a made-up name. <laughs> all right, 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 right. And it also makes me think of Quato. Oh, that, that's maybe that's what he was going for, and they messed it up. And he was like, "Ah, whatever, that's good." But I, I seriously digress. At the point in which we're talking about Quato, you know that we have gotten off track. <laughs> but I will tell you that uh, let's get back on track. Let's get on Amtrak. Let's take the light rail, Joe Biden style. That's right. Tonight, today, whenever you're listening. Maybe you're on the light rail. Maybe you're sitting across from Uncle Joe, and maybe he's calling you Chuck or Shazam, because um, you know, because he's he's not he's kind of losing it. I'm sorry, Democrats. I'm sorry. I didn't make it happen. It just happened. Thanks, Obama. To, to <laughs> on, on, on this episode, on this episode, Perry and I are going to talk about Crown Jewel. That's right. It was not a one and done for World Wrestling Entertainment. No. Back to the desert, um, back to a, a problematic title of a pay-per-view, if I do say so myself. We're going to talk about that show. Um, we're really just going to talk about the two strangest WWE matches in recent memory, which are, I guess, set to headline this show. We need to talk about Big Cass. We're going to talk about Jeff Hardy. Both of those guys, um, man, they just... They can't seem to keep their noses clean, and and, and we hate to hear uh, about this kind of stuff, and we hate even more to have to talk about it, but it is certainly newsworthy. 
We're going to talk about the Wednesday Night War. In a week last week, and now this week, huge, huge weeks of the quote-unquote season premiere of Raw, um, which they just, they literally made that up. Um, the debut of SmackDown Live on Fox, the debut of NXT on USA, and the debut of All Elite Wrestling on TNT. It's been a busy couple of weeks, and we're going to focus on the Wednesday Night War because that's really the big deal. Raw and SmackDown, uh, as uh, David Byrne would say, same as it ever was, but AEW and NXT definitely are throwing down on Wednesday nights, and then we are going to discuss Hell in a Cell 2019. There's actually more to say than just about the main event, but we will not shy away from talking about that main event. Perry. Yeah. It's a busy show. It is. There's a lot to cover. We did uh, we did miss out last week. We apologize for that, folks. But uh, we didn't miss out four weeks. We, we did the last time we were uh, uh, briefly gone. And, and a not-so-briefly way. Um, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of... Uh, we, we were debating on whether we should wait to record. We typically record mid to late-ish in the week. Uh, we wanted to maybe see if we should wait until after SmackDown, which comes on on Friday nights. Um, but I think postponing the recording, basically we we pushed ourselves beyond the point of being able to record together. So we had to basically not record anything last week. And here we are making up for it. So we have a lot to uh, to cover, but I think we can get it done. But we are going to talk about Hell in a Cell, hashtag Hayek. Uh, not Salma Hayek, but uh, old heck in a sec. Uh, another outing for the old Hell in the Cell PPV slash network exclusive, and we're going to talk all about that. But you know, Darren, we can't talk about that. No, no. Not until we talk about them. Headlines. Boy, it felt good to do that. WWE making their return to the Middle East for the second Crown Jewel pay-per-view slash network exclusive, Darren. How are we feeling about this, huh? Well, it's on Halloween night, and I don't know if that means anything in Saudi Arabia, but... I don't think I, it does. I don't think there's going to be a lot of jack-o'-lanterns, a lot of witches. That seems a little too spooky-ooky-ooky for uh, those who submit. Um, and it's, it's Thursday. It's a Thursday, which also makes it weird because it's probably also not Thursday night. Um, we're, I'm sure we're going to refer to it repeatedly as Thursday night and Halloween night, but it will most definitely be on the air on WWE Network at probably like two in the afternoon, which means I might have to take the day off of school. Students, if you're listening, that's not why I wasn't at school or not. It's <laughs> not why I will not be at school. I had a, a very important doctor's appointment. Well, I, pre- I, I appreciate you're the you're the Babe Ruth of uh, calling out because you call your shot before you actually do it. So I'm 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 sure your students will appreciate that. So uh, Crown Jewel and they're they're stacking up the deck for this one. They're having some firsts, uh, several firsts, several big matches announced for this show, which are happening in a non WWE show. Like I still say. These things happen out of continuity. They're total exhibition, um, only loosely based on storyline that's already kind of established. Because they're they're loading the deck with this uh, with this whole thing with Cain Velasquez showing up all of a sudden to become a thorn in Brock Lesnar's side. Brock Lesnar, who we have not mentioned, 
is your new WWE champion defeated Kofi Kingston in a squash, but this only uh, opened the door for Cain Velasquez to come out. So sorry, Matt Riddle. You can't be the next Brock Lesnar if Cain Velasquez is in town because he'll be the first Cain Velasquez, which is to say the new Brock Lesnar. And now Brock Lesnar. We'll see how it feels to be Brock Lesnar'd. I think Brock Lesnar is about to be Brock Lesnar. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Um, the only thing is, I mean, it's a good thing that Vince McMahon closed the WBF all those years ago because if the WBF were still around and somebody shuffled Velasquez and Matt Riddle in there, um, it's no contest. Uh, I'm not saying that Cain Velasquez would not knock all of Matt Riddle's teeth out. But I will say that in a pose down, uh, Velasquez would end up looking like uh, several half-full garbage bags. Um, <laughs> he would look like a snowman next to uh, the, the sculpture of Michelangelo. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> well, I, I say that because Matt Riddle, I mean, uh, Matt Riddle is just like carved for marble, right? Like his 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 body is just insanely ripped. Um, and Velasquez is just like a big, tough man. So He is. Uh, I, I'd have to say that if I were... If I were Vince McMahon or Triple H or a, a, a Fox executive, I definitely would have premiered Velasquez with his shirt on. And and that's that's all I'm going to say for right now. Um, because his record speaks for itself. Sure. I mean, he TKO'd Brock Lesnar in the octagon 10 years ago in the first round for real. His resume speaks for itself. And from the neck up, he is a monstrosity. Like, like, (laughs) So 10% of him is a monstrosity. But I mean, like, in a good way. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. But the bot, but like, I mean, hashtag dad bod. I mean, I I hate to even say those words, but like, that's what's happening, you know, with, with, with Brown power there. And, uh, but, it's, he is a surprise. He is, he is a, as far as I'm concerned, he is a, a surprise signing. I somehow totally got underneath my radar um, that he had actually wrestled a couple of matches in AAA. And so he's already made him uh, like a name for himself. I mean, obviously, he's a member of the Latino community and he has made a name for himself with a uh, Latino wrestling audience. But, like, coming out with Rey Mysterio as, sort of, like, as, like, a backup for Mysterio and Dominic getting their asses waxed by Brock Lesnar. It's like, oh, yeah, well, here is Ghost of Christmas Pat. You know, like, like here is the ghost of Feliz Navidad Pat. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like, you know, Lesnar's got to stare that down. I think it's cool. I really thought this was just a publicity stunt. And at best, it was a crown jewel match. But no, Velasquez is full tilt boogie, man. He told Dana White that he's packing his bags. Uh, he's out of the octagon. He is out of the drug testing pool. He was wrestling in AAA. He was courting an AEW contract, actually. Uh, and yet he's now signed a multi-year WWE deal. Now, does that mean he's going to fight a lot? Maybe not. Ronda Rousey also signed a multi-year deal. And you saw that she wrestled... A handful of times over about 10 months. So, 
a multi-year contract doesn't necessarily mean we're going to see you on TV for multiple years. It's, um, it's more it's more exclusivity. Uh, we can put you in the video game. You know what I mean? I, I think that that's all that is. And AEW, if they were to bring on Cain Velasquez, then it would have been like, what are you doing? You have your own block Brock Lesnar now, which is one of the reasons why he started AEW, but... Whatever. So that that didn't happen. But any anywho, and, and and again, for those who don't know, Cain Velasquez, former UFC heavyweight champion, uh, so legitimate fighter. And there are definitely critics who are like, why is he showing up in WWE? Where the the fighting is obviously fixed and predetermined and all that stuff. But man, the, the, these are these are the, the the bricks, the foundation that were laid by the likes of Ken Shamrock, Dan the Beast Severn. And, hell uh, yeah! Hell yes, Dan the Beast Seven. Yeah, I, I wanted to mention him because I know that makes you happy. So one of my very favorites, Dan the Beast Seven, one of my all-time favorite wrestlers, um, and absolutely my all-time favorite cage fighter, uh, UFC guy, MMA, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I go with the old school term, cage fighter, and uh, that's who Dan the Beast Seven is to me. And uh, and I've had his hands around my throat, so I can say that. There's a picture. Um, yes, and it was. <laughs> um, so here's the deal Cain Velasquez 1-0 against Brock Lesnar took the UFC championship off of Lesnar's waist nine years ago at UFC 121 and I remember watching that show live and uh, we were uh, sitting in a in a pizza and mussels restaurant <laughs> and, um, and uh, I was having some pizza having some muscles and uh, and everybody was completely blown away by uh, how Velasquez dismantled Lesnar. Well, this is a different decade. This is a different um, fighting organization. It's an entirely different world. Um, as soon as I saw uh, Lesnar show up with a beard, I was like, no, he's going down. <laughs> There's something about him with a beard that, that makes it look like like he maybe he's trying to hide his chin away or something like that, and he absolutely got knocked out. Uh, yeah. So, anyhow, so Velasquez is not the only crossover fighter to pop up in WWE that week. Uh, also, Tyson Fury, the unified WBA, IBF, WBO, IBO, <laughs> EI, EIO, and Tyson Fury is his nameo. And he is also uh, the lineal heavyweight boxing champion, and that's what they keep leaning on. And I don't know what the hell that really means. I tried to do a quick Wikipedia perusal of what the hell the lineal heavyweight boxing champion is. To the best of my understanding, in my very quick uh, look at a very long article, um, I, I, I think lineal boxing champion simply means... You won the championship by defeating the former champion. Well, that may sound like no duh. That's how championships are won. But Perry, you know as well as I do, in real fighting, in real combat sports like MMA and boxing, a lot of times belts don't change hands by way of a challenger defeating a champion. Typically... Uh, a champion retires or they dodge challengers long enough until they get stripped of their belt. And so the lineal champion is is uh, something that I think a lot of people take pride in because it's not just 
you won a fight out of a pool of talented people. No. To be the man, you got to beat the man. And the lineal heavyweight champion is the man who can say he beat the man. So Tyson Fury simultaneously holds six unified world boxing championships. To me, that says this six foot nine monster. Yes, he's bigger than fucking Braun Strowman. Uh, the reason he's on wrestling is because he ought to be on wrestling. Right. Because talk right. about monstrosity. Tyson Fury is a beast. He is a big opposing man. He stood toe-to-toe with uh, Braun Strowman. Uh, he was in the audience of a WWE show. And uh, it looks to be a credible threat for Braun Strowman. Poor Braun Strowman. <laughs> Can't catch a break. It seems like they're just going to feed him to uh, Tyson Fury. Uh, so you said lineal champion. I, I thought for a second there you said millennial champion. I thought maybe he was just he vaped a lot. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually said that to a we, uh, me and someone. We were talking to a, a younger guy. And we were kind of razzing him about being a millennial, and uh, he said the 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 guy who was helping me razz this kid was like, it's <laughs> like. Like, how come millennials don't eat cereal? Like, you guys don't eat cereal anymore. Like, cereal companies are going out of business or something like that. And I was like, what's your favorite cereal? Is it vape? Yeah. <laughs> and we laughed and laughed and laughed and we pushed him oh. down. Um, anyway. You know, hazing is frowned upon, Perry. Oh, uh, no, he, had a, he was a good sport about it. So You go. know who frowns upon hazing, right? People being hazed? Millennials. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. They, 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 they're looking for a safe space. Uh, they're looking for a safe space to vape. Sure. <laughs> uh, and uh, so Tyson Fury provides no safe spaces. There is no safe space if Tyson Fury is in the building. Uh, talk about from the neck up. From the neck up, Tyson Fury looks like Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull now. Oh, my God. And even though, like, J- Jethro Tull, I-, I call him Jethro Tull, uh, even though Ian Anderson <laughs> of Jethro Tull is probably old enough to be Tyson Fury's grandfather, and they're both English, so he might be his grandfather, uh, it, somehow Tyson Fury, at only 31 years old, looks like the 70-year-old Ian Anderson. Uh, from the neck up, from the neck up. Well, I don't know what your deal is with judging these guys from the neck up, Darren, but uh, you're on a roll here with... Uh... <laughs> You know, Cain Velasquez from the neck up. You know, Tyson Fury from the neck up. Well, you know, I I actually have a response to that. It's because from the neck up, both Velasquez and Fury are notable. But they're notable for different reasons from the neck up than they are from the neck down. From the neck up, Tyson Fury looks like Ian Anderson. I expect him (laughs) to break out an aqualung at any Uh, second. If it comes out to locomotive breath, I would really appreciate that. Oh, that'd be nice. And of course, if... Hashtag dear listeners, I am saying Ian Anderson. I'm not saying Arn Anderson, just in case uh, <laughs> there might be no. any confusion. Uh, I'm not talking about Arn Anderson. But here's the thing, Perry, and this is my response. The The problem is that both of these guys from the neck down have problematic physiques, hear me out, for professional wrestling. Now, in boxing and in, in the octagon, if you can go, if you can knock someone out and not pass out doing so, it doesn't matter what you look like. Uh, look at Butterbean, right? But, but, 
in pro wrestling, it does matter. You, in pro wrestling, you ought to, you either have to look like Michelangelo's David, like you said, or you got to be real ugly or real fat. You can't be somewhere in the middle because then nobody wants to look at you. And that I'm going to bring back up when we talk later about the Wednesday Night War and how NXT has that physique advantage over AEW. But anyway. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But it is a very interesting contrast that in a, a sport where the fighting is fake, you have to look tough. But in a sport where the fighting is real, you don't necessarily have to look tough. You just have to be tough legitimately. So, Exactly. You just got to show up and put up or shut up. Right, right, right. Well, anyway, I, th- those two matches are announced for Crown Jewel. Tyson Fury taking on Braun Strowman and Cain Velasquez taking on Brock Lesnar. Both of those were announced on Friday in Las Vegas at a pretty big deal um, press conference before... They went live on uh, SmackDown on Fox. And these are really the two matches that I think anybody's going to really care about. Doesn't mean they're going to be good. It's just what people are going to tune in for. I know I'm going to tune in for these because they're really interesting. They're really interesting. What is that E word I I tend to use about these shows? Uh, Exhibition. There's names on a marquee. It's... The Undertaker versus Goldberg. It's not going to be a good match, but names in the marquee, you know who they are, uh, and that's just that's just how it is. So, uh, one person who probably will be a no show for Crown Jewel, unfortunately, uh, is going to be Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy uh, still uh, undergoing some issues. Uh, he's had some issues with substance abuse in the past, unfortunately, uh, from years ago, like from over a decade ago. And TNA it was an issue. Um, maybe I think yeah, toward the end of WWF, his first run, um, there was definitely some issues as well. So he had a DWI recently, uh, unfortunately. Well, WWE uh, issued the same statement they issue whenever one of the Usos. I don't mean to laugh. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it's happened a couple times lately. Whenever one of the Usos got popped uh, for DUI or for for a couple other things, which is basically like so and so is responsible for their own you know personal behavior or whatever, and that's all, that's that's all you need to say is like, well, it's not our fault. He did that on his own. And the thing is, like in in a world where most. Uh, messages like that are bullshit. This is totally valid. Sure. I mean, the WWE, they should and do have like substance abuse policies and testing, et cetera, et cetera. But if it's your day off and you get drunk in your hometown and decide to drive to the minute market to get more liquid to continue getting drunker on, WWE can't police that, and so that kind of statement is totally valid in this situation. It's unfortunate, but it is it is a reality, and it's one of the few things that we you can't really blame WWE for. Um, they're not these people's mommies and daddies. These are grown-ass adults. And Jeff Hardy is also not a 23-year-old who's suddenly become a millionaire, and he's in the spotlight, and he's on TV every week, and he doesn't know what to do with his fame and fortune. No. This dude is a problematic addict, and he needs intense counseling, and he needs a lot of love, and he needs somebody in his personal life to help take care of him, because this is not new. This is apparently not going away. Uh, It is not circumstantial or situational. This is this man's lifestyle, and it's not a healthy one, 
and he's going to find himself in an early grave if he keeps behaving this way. I'm not saying that the average person can't have too much to drink sometimes and make a bad decision. This is just a drop in the bucket of bad decisions that Jeff Hardy's been making now for well over 10 years. Sure, but also when you're you're uh, drunk in public, uh, you know, and that, that's when, like, you're... There's potential for injury for yourself, but also for others, uh, which, you know, uh, escalates the risks of uh, public intoxication and stuff like that, driving and all that. Um, so, obviously, that's a big issue. So, I mean, we can only hope that Jeff Hardy gets help. Unfortunately, this is not a surprise headline. Sadly, um, it, it is what it is. But uh, someone who's also been struggling with substance abuse as of late, it seems, Big Cass, uh, Big Cass actually seeking help from one Diamond Dallas Page. He's actually checked into the accountability crib in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, uh, DDP, actually right outside of Atlanta in Smyrna, beautiful Smyrna, Georgia. Saint, the home. Saint Page, as I call him now, because he's saving all these lives nowadays. I mean, I'm just waiting for the Vatican to beatify and canonize uh, Page Falkenberg because. <laughs> He deserves it. I mean, this man is seriously saving lives. Sure. This is, I mean, and, you know, I think you have to have two miracles to become a saint. Uh, I'm going to say Jake Roberts and Scott Hall. Those are your two miracles. That's all you need. So DDP, St. Page um, himself, bringing Big Cass, uh, formerly known as Colin Cassidy. I actually don't know the dude's real name, but... Uh, Kaz XL, as he's going by right now, uh, on the indies, of which he's making a debacle of his indie career. And it's because of what it sounds like is a, a pretty unfortunate combination of mental health issues and drug addiction. Now, apparently he had a run-in, a big-time run-in with Joey Janela, which has now been made public. Um, I know that he no-showed multiple events. As <laughs> as problematic of a figure as Enzo is, um, you know, he's sort of like the yippy dog that you that gets your attention. Meanwhile, the the badass Rottweiler uh, has just bitten your throat out, and that's Cass, who's actually doing the real damage to himself and others. Um, it's interesting that this story comes out at the same time that Total Divas actually returns to the E! Network. Carmella returned as a cast member on this season of Total Divas, and the entire premiere episode, every time they cut to Carmella, she goes back into slamming Cass. And, they, and I guess because he signed a contract once upon a time, his likeness is able to be used. And so they keep showing these clips of him and then cutting to her now when he is not there to defend himself, talking about how awful their relationship was. And I, I watched that and cringed a lot. Not because I don't believe Carmella. Sure. Probably, based on everything we hear about Cass, it's probably true. But I just hate the fact that when somebody takes the opportunity to run somebody else into the ground, even if it's true, if they don't have the opportunity to present uh, their own version, because there are two sides to every story. Your side might be wrong and fucked up, but you're still allowed to present that. And uh, he's not <laughs> because Buna Murray and E-Network and 
Kevin Dunn and Vince McMahon and WWE have decided, ha, 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 you're not under contract to us, so we can use you to make a storyline for Carmella. Well, there's that whole gray area with Total Divas where it's real quotations, but it's not because it can't totally be real. Uh, so you got to wonder if things were really that bad or if they're like, okay, Big Cass is gone. You need to like, you need to ruin him so he doesn't make money on the indies. You know what I mean? Like, and, and exactly. there, there could be some of that. And again, not saying I don't watch the show because um, that's not anything. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't put down people who do watch the show. That's fine. Um, but uh, at the same time, it's like, is she embellishing a bit? Are they trying to like, is it character assassination? Um, I mean, obviously things weren't bad. And now Carmelo's with uh, Corey Graves, which they actually mention quite a bit on WWE programming nowadays. So, But uh, anyway, so there's all that. Yeah. Big Cass has problems, though, clearly. Uh, he's getting help for it. That means he acknowledges that he, he does have issues. He's not like, I don't need to go to DDPs. I'm not, I'm not as bad off as Jake Roberts was or Scott Hall was. No, he's like, yeah, I need to go to DDP because... Uh, Things aren't going well. There's also rumors of an imminent return to WWE and Zoe and Cass, but not now. <laughs> so who knows what's going to happen? I, I really don't know what's going to happen with that because I really don't understand what Enzo's major malfunction is. I'd like to be able to just point at it and say drugs because that can be fixed. You know, Instead, I feel like the reality <laughs> is starting to become clear that if you point at Enzo and you're trying to point to the problem, it's not drugs, it's asshole. And like that hurts me because for several years, that dude was my favorite, like loved Enzo. But, you know, he's so obnoxious in a not cool way on social media. I, I mean, bless his heart for how hard he has tried to keep himself in the spotlight. And he has succeeded, but he's done it in a very, very tacky way. Um, Enzo? Tacky? Darren. <laughs> are we talking about the same guy? The the, the no, cheetah well, print no. guy, right? You mean you call, you're calling him tacky. Okay, gotcha. Make it sure. Yeah, well, I mean, tacky is as tacky does. I uh, definitely spent um, a couple of weeks in New York uh, with the Enzo hairstyle a couple of years ago. So, true, so uh, true, you know. True, yeah. uh, anyway, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I don't know if Enzo has his own problems uh, with substance abuse. He certainly acts like he does. <laughs> um, <laughs> if he does, I'd love that to, for him to get himself clean and sober as well, as well as Cass. Uh, get their minds right. You know, maybe... Enzo needs to knock himself down, or maybe somebody else needs to knock him down a couple of pegs uh, so he can stop being so damn confrontational. Um, it, it is professional wrestling, but it doesn't have to be a chore to get through the day uh, in the industry, and Enzo seems to make it that way for himself and others. And I'd love if they got all their shit together for Enzo and Cass to be back on WWE programming, specifically NXT, where I think they could thrive, but... That is yet to be seen. We wish Big Cass the best. Um, don't really know any updates. We just know that he's there. But, Perry, speaking of NXT, I think we need to talk about this new, this new baby born unto the world and given to us. It's a gift to people like you and I who have been uh, pouring over 
the indies and uh, the, the big leagues of pro wrestling for years now, we have a true head-to-head head to head. situation among companies for the first time in a long time, and that is NXT on USA and Dynamite on Wednesday night, AEW's inaugural television program over on TNT, both debuting last week on the 2nd of October 2019, and now we've gotten through two weeks of NXT versus AEW, and it is a Wednesday night war, and I want to talk about it. Yeah, uh, is it me, or did it take forever for AEW to uh, debut on TNT and forever for SmackDown Live to debut on Fox? And they literally said, oh, by the way, NXT on USA, and it happened like the next day. Like, I I swear to God, they threw that deal together in like five seconds. USA was like, what do you want? Yes. I mean, maybe that was the deal all along, and they, they just kept quiet about the whole thing, but I don't see how that could have been a secret for as long as it potentially could have been. But it did seem like as soon as it was announced, like it happened within a couple weeks of the announcement, which is, that's very fast for television. That is very fast for television. So It's incredibly fast. It's incredibly fast for television. you got to remember, this is an NBC Universal network. I mean, that stuff moves like molasses. Sure, sure. And yet they're going to double the length of that show and, and throw it on an, on, onto a cable network. That's pretty cool. Um, all right, so here's the deal. I think going forward, the reality, and Perry, you and I talked about this off the air a little bit, but there's three hours of Raw, there's two hours of SmackDown, there's two hours of Dynamite, there's two hours of NXT. Uh, It's all on cable television now. You don't have to have a weird subscription service. You don't have to uh, watch it on YouTube or Hulu. If you just turn your TV on, you're getting nine hours of pro wrestling contemporary pro wrestling, most of which is live, just on television. I mean, it's incredible. It's, dare I say, too much, but it's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's remarkable. I, I, I really am kind of blown away by it. So what, what we talked about off the air was maybe having a segment on this show. Now, we certainly don't want to call it something super cheesy and something redundant like The weekend Wrestling or blah, blah, blah. But I definitely think we need to start taking a look at um, something separate from our headlines where we address the fact that these companies, AEW and WWE, are essentially uh, in another war, in, 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 in some sort of cable war here for viewership. Um, so let's work on that. What do you say? That sounds like a good idea. Let's discuss the Wednesday Night War. Wednesday, Wednesday Night, night. All right, well, uh, you know, at least for this week, that's what we're calling it. And the Wednesday Night War, I want to, I'm going to flip a coin here. Uh, Okay. And uh, no one knows if that's legitimate or not. And, (laughs) (laughs) but based on my coin toss, we're going to talk about Dynamite first. Perry, AEW Dynamite. There's been two episodes, and let me just say, face value. It's weird that it's on TNT. Uh, it's weird that TNT now is like literally called TNT drama, which <laughs> I don't know that I like that. Right. And it makes it 
weird to say, oh, are you watching Dynamite on TNT drama? Um, it's sort of like USA, characters welcome. It's just like, okay, we get it. We don't, you don't, just just don't do that. Right. Uh, so, so, but face value, Dynamite, I think Dynamite's a great name. I like Dynamite. I like the color scheme. It's rainbow colored, but not in like a, in, you know, not in a color crayon, a kindergarten kind of rainbow pattern, but like, uh, you know, when people like crazy people, by the way, who run marathons and half marathons and 10 Ks and five Ks and, uh, people who run, uh, anybody who runs is crazy. Hi, Ryan. How are you? <laughs> Shout out Ryan Kelly, who runs far too much. God love you. So like they, some of those crazy people, they, they do these runs where they get like, doused in like uh, powder paint or whatever you know and then they're like rainbow colored it's that kind of rainbow colored well when I get the runs I get doused in something else but that's disgusting that's, <laughs> that's, that's just that's just awful I couldn't leave that joke hanging there um, well there you go Well, it was dangling prepared. it was dangling like a dangling participle Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna make another poop. You joke. made you made a gross squinty face, but no, I went for the the clever uh, a scholarly joke instead. Well, we appreciate that. You're a gentleman and a scholar, Perry. Okay. You go from making a That's poop what... joke to making a grammar joke. Well, I'm only a gentleman and a scholar because I uh, read books about how to be a gentleman. So, a scholar read books about how to be a gentleman so clearly one of us is not a scholar like Uh, like i've always said the best jokes are the ones you have to explain more than once um okay so (laughs) (laughs) all right so here's the deal very colorful and i like it i dig it because it's not like it's not just nitro all over again it is and we're going to talk about how it is just nitro all over again but at least it's not like corrugated metal and fire. It doesn't look like a hipster, a hipster restaurant here in Los Angeles uh, where everything is corrugated aluminum uh, and then like uh, everything's just natural wood grain seats and stools and all that stuff. You're right. Uh, AEW Dynamite on TNT Drama does not look like a hipster restaurant in Los Angeles. It doesn't look um, like it's it's being filmed inside of a Chipotle. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I will say this about the production. I um I, I didn't catch I didn't catch it on TNT proper. I, I did see some on the internet. Um, the production's top notch. It is a beautiful show. It looks as good as Raw, but different. Um, so I, I'll definitely give them props for that. Uh, they have that. Uh, my thing is on commentary. They have Tony Schiavone. Yes. Yes, they do. They do have Tony Schiavone. Which, by the way, listening to Tony Schiavone on TNT, it, it is weird. It is weird. It's, to, it's totally cool. It's totally cool, but it's weird. So you have Tony Schiavone. Yes. You have Jim Ross. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So why is there a third person, and why is he the only one that speaks? Why? And, why is and, X- why, and why is he Excalibur? Why is Excalibur your third person? Who is play-by-play, by the way, when you have two of the greatest play-by-play guys on your commentary team? 
and the guy in the fucking mask is the play-by-play guy. What is happening? I don't I don't know. There's certain there's certain things that you don't need to reinvent, and that's one of them. And that's one of the problems AEW is having. It doesn't know its identity, which is fine. Much like Excalibur. <laughs> Oh, they do, and it's Excalibur. He wears a mask. Is that joke? But still, oh, okay. Again, the best jokes here are the ones you have to explain a couple times. (laughs) So I'm great tonight. I'm I'm, I'm on fire. I'm still gonna go with. I'm still gonna go with the best AEW show yet. Was the one that wasn't an AEW show all in Um, because that show also did not have an identity but it thrived on the fact that it did not have an identity. To me, All In was a super show, like with you, those mythical super shows from the 70s and 80s, like wrestling Star Wars and AWA Super Clash and these things where you had like these dream matches where you had NWA champion Harley Race versus WWF champion superstar Billy Graham, or you have Bob Backlund versus Ric Flair, or you had Ric Flair versus Kerry Von Erich in Texas, or you had Nick Bockwinkle versus Jerry Lawler in like, uh, at like a county fair. Like to me, that's what was so cool about all in. What has not been so great about AEW is they lost at least 50% of the star power that all in had. They don't have a great roster. They have a good roster. They don't have a great roster. And they're thriving on the fact that we are old school and new school. We are innovative, but don't forget the Rhodes family and Shabani and JR and Jericho. And it's like, and we're on TNT and it's like, well, wait a minute. You can't be both of those things. You can't be super because if you're going to be super old school, then you know Billy Corgan's got a YouTube show at six oh five and he's filming it, uh, you know, in Atlanta. Like it's called the NWA. They're doing the old school. They got it. AEW. They got it. I promise you, they got it. Uh, or or you're going to do something brand spanking new and different, like uh, dare I say MLW. MLW. Uh, is a cool show because it has it it, it it nods to old wrestling, but it's a totally new presentation. Sure, and I think AEW, AEW finds itself sort of hesitantly stutter stepping backward and forward, and it doesn't know where to like stand its ground. And until it does, it's it's going to be. It's going to be rough going. Well, I'm, I I agree with all that. I'm sure Cody Rhodes and I guess Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks found out the hard way and uh, making their own wrestling company, why WCW operated the way it did, why they made decisions, uh, some of them bad, some of them good, uh, the way they did, same with WWE, um, that you need the faces that people recognize, which typically are the old timers, but you got to stuff them in somewhere because people go, oh, I know who that is. I'll watch your show. Um, maybe don't put the heavyweight championship on them, but, uh, you know. Um, and you have the, the the voices that people know, like Jim Ross and, you know, Tony Schiavone, which they don't quite sound the way they did many years ago. But, you know, that's just getting old. I, I'm not going to fault them for that. But 
I'm saying there is a lot of new and a lot of old, and like I said in the last episode, and that uh, uh, listening to that the second time, uh, where I said they're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel, um, I, I don't mean that in such a bad way or such a negative way, but the thing is WWE is still scooping up the hottest people on the indies. And the only way they're not getting scooped up is if they're just loyal to this whole indie spirit and just like, no, I will never go WWE, never. Uh, uh, and then otherwise they're probably going to be AEW bound. But there's not many people like that because money talks and WWE is still the, the biggest wrestling organization on the planet. And that's not going to stop far. anytime soon. So, and again, I'm, I'm all about AEW, you know, succeeding and all that, but... At the same time, I just, I hate that it's like, and things will be different, and things are not different. You're just another wrestling organization. So, that's it. I, I agree. So, so here's a few hot takes from me about Dynamite. The women's division is DOA. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not good. The, the, the chick with the Freddie Mercury gimmick needs to go the way of the Dodo with a quickness. Um, doing nothing. Doing nothing. For me, doing a Brett Baker DDS um, DOA, you know they say like uh, <laughs> you know it, it's not just a gimmick. Uh, it, it is just it is just a gimmick. <laughs> it's like Doctor Brett Baker DDS. It is just a gimmick. Can 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 Isaac Yankum DDS uh, accompany uh, Brett Baker DDS to the ring, I mean, please? I hope I, I can only hope that that's where where that eventually goes somewhere somehow some way. I want to see that. Um, until they teach me differently or show me differently, uh, Awesome Kong is the only thing that I really care about. B Priestley has some potential, but that division is not what it should be. They should have worked very hard in this current atmosphere where the women are might be the best thing in WWE. And they're by far an afterthought in AEW. Yeah. Um, and then that goes back to what I said about why people, uh, why it seems like there are people who are not ready for television on AEW, but they don't care because they're, they're our good buddies and they're good wrestlers, but doesn't mean they're TV ready wrestlers. Even someone like Chelsea Green, who's wrestled for a very long time, she didn't go straight to television. She went to the performance center to train because there, there are still a couple of kinks to, to work out of hers, even though she's Zack Ryder's girl. I'm not saying that's all she is, but that's a huge benefit in the world of WWE when they're all about couple wrestlers. All about couple wrestlers. There's that. Another big issue AEW has with their women's division is they either weigh 100 pounds or they weigh 300 pounds. You're absolutely right. That is a huge difference in in weights. Um, There seems to be no in-between. Like, that's, that's a big problem. It is when you have when you when you're in a sport a sport, and AEW. I will the one thing I will give them credit for is they do treat it like a sport, which is fun. We know it's not one, but we we like it to be. We like to pretend, and uh, <laughs> but in a sport that has no weight divisions, it, it, it's kind of dumb. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. dumb to have that disparity there. Um, all right, some other things that I feel um, the young bucks, like what happened? They are way too tame they're still doing their best work on youtube it's like dudes you own this company you are on network television you are on tnt you're the heirs apparent and you won't let us forget you are the heirs apparent to nitro 
and you're still doing your best work on YouTube, like I, I would have thought that the young bucks would be the most important part of dynamite. And they're not, I don't know if they're trying to say like, you know, we recognize that we're veterans. And so we're going to start putting other people over. No, not in the first year of dynamite. This needs to be your damn coronation fellas. Like this needs to be your final ascent to the, the very tippy top of Everest in which you say we are the best tag team of the, of the decade. We are the best tag team of the century of the millennium. Well then there, there no. And I agree with that, but there is that slippery slope and this has happened in former wrestling organizations, uh, wrestling organizations past, if you will, um, where people with a lot of executive power, tend to book themselves over other people and they win championship belts and they stay on top. So I can see where it's a thin line. You don't want to book yourself to win everything. Uh, unless, you're, that, unless you're Cody Rhodes, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. And that's totally fair, but you also have to be careful. If you're too humble, you're going to book yourself into obscurity. Uh, and they just don't—they they just don't seem exciting enough. They seem like, oh yes, yes, and the young bucks. It should be like, oh my god, the young bucks. Right, right. No, I—I I, I, I definitely see what you're saying, but I don't know. I, I just have a feeling that all these guys—the Cody Rhodes, Kenny Omega, the young bucks—are going to make a lot of enemies, and they're going to find out why you have to be cutthroat in the world of uh, if you want to start your own wrestling organization. Um, so it's—it's going to be interesting to see where we are a year from now. Well, I, I will say one of the fun things, one of the most fun things about Dynamite was uh, best friends. Ah, oh, yes. Yes. Best friends being in the crowd and introducing their new friend, Orange Cassidy. And I'll say this. I never, ever in my heart of hearts, and I've had to harden my heart, <laughs> and I, I never, ever believed that I would see the day where someone could out nonchalant Chuck Taylor, the Kentucky gentleman. But if anybody could, Orange Cassidy could. And I think that this is a match made in heaven. I think Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy could never wrestle and do more good and more harm simultaneously to professional wrestling than anybody. Like Chuck Taylor... I, I love him, and if I didn't love him so much, I would hate him. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I mean, God, he, I mean, he is, oof. That is one aloof pro wrestler. Um, but anyway, I think they could be the hotness. On a weekly television show, you get Best Friends and Orange Cassidy doing some really, really creative stuff that has nothing to do with athletic competition. And let them be your entertainment. Let that let them be a big part of the entertainment part of Dynamite. And then you can go to the ring and let, you know, Sammy Guevara, who I like heel Sammy Guevara, and I like his face, and I like his wrestling. I think he's still probably got character to work on. Um, I think that young man still has a lot of character to work. Chuck Taylor needs no help. He he is a ready he is a ready for primetime player. Sure. Well, Chuck Taylor he's he's done ROH. He's done New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's been at it a lot longer than no, people realize. No. He's done the whole reference show. Yeah. He, you know, hashtag uh, friend of the show, of course. Um, 
that's that's also something that I wanted to mention about AEW. I don't know if I've I've done that on this show. Um, well, probably it wouldn't be any other wrestling podcast <laughs> that I'm aware of. What other wrestling show? Are well, you I mean, about? on the show or just just talking to someone else about it. But I don't know how hands on they are as far as like uh, coaching the talent for like promos and stuff like that. I will say this: Darby Allen. Needs a lot of promo work because he yeah. sounds like a high school kid who doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, I, I guess it was his match uh, against Cody Rhodes. There was like a little promo package put together for it, and the match itself, you know, was fine. Um, but the uh, I, I do remember like what he was saying going into the match just made no sense. Like something about like you might not know who I am, but you'll never forget not knowing who I am. Like, it was literally something that nonsensical. <laughs> and it was just like, there was no one there to produce that promo and go, all right, Darby, that's great. Take it again. This time makes sense. Um, so <laughs> so I, I think they're trying to take a hands-off approach. And in this case, you don't want to do that. You want someone to be there and say, maybe say it like this. Or, okay, maybe say this instead of that. Or don't say this because that, you know, whatever. Um, but I think they're trying to be hands-off because they don't want to overly coach their wrestlers. and They want to let them kind of do their own thing. But in some cases, you need to step in and help out a bit. And I, I, it's funny that you bring up Darby Allen because that was my next point. Darby Allen versus Jimmy Havoc ought to be some magic and demons turned up to 11. And it wasn't. <laughs> It was a very good wrestling match. Um, and that's all it was. And Jimmy Havoc, also not the greatest promo in the world. He has some intensity and he has some self-awareness that Darby Allen doesn't have. And I think probably because Jimmy Havoc is a veteran. I mean, he's been around for 15 or, God, probably 20 years, maybe. 40. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, he, he's he got the experience uh, that Darby Allen doesn't have. But I don't want Jimmy Havoc, the guy, going for the gold. That's not – a guy just there to go for the gold doesn't wear that, like, H.R. Geiger-looking uh, weird xenomorph skeleton mask thing that he wears to the ring. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, there's a, there's a way that you do magic and demons. I know there's no turning back the clock. There's no, there's no going back to 1998 Undertaker. Uh, I understand that. Um, but even the Undertaker, even Dead Man Undertaker in 2019, is still once the bell rings, he's more focused on the MMA padded knuckle gloves and you know being a good striker. And it's like no. You know, it's like if you had to deconstruct the Undertaker character in 2019, it's like it goes back to what they always said, but I never believed it until now, which is that like that that perspective that wrestlers take on gimmicks to play mind games. And like nobody's really that way. And I'm like, no, no, no. 1993 Undertaker, he was he was really that way. Right. You know, 1997 Mankind, he was really that way. You know, uh, hashtag if wrestling were real. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, 
we know that Mick Foley showed up and played the character of Mankind. But hashtag if wrestling were real, Mankind was not a normal guy pretending to be crazy to get, you know, a one-up on someone. So I don't like Magic and Demon's characters being concerned about championship gold. And that's what's wrong with Jimmy Havoc. Jimmy Havoc has a good look, has a persona, but it's weird that he's like, I'm here for gold. Anybody that gets in my way. No, it should be like, I'm I'm here for your blood. Like, you know, like I'm satisfied by fighting and hurting people. And you'll find that's one of my big issues with the the Fiend versus Seth Rollins and Hell in a Cell, which we'll get into later. Um, I agree with that completely, Darren. Also, um, the cool thing about AEW is you're seeing matches for the first time. People fight, I guess, televised at least. These probably all happen several times, you know, uh, indie shows, non-televised indie shows. But eventually you're going to see every combination possible to death, like you do every Monday on Raw, like you will eventually every Friday on SmackDown Live. And it's going to lose a bit of edge there, a bit of excitement there. Uh, but we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that when that happens, which you know isn't too far down the road. But I, I do see what you're saying. But uh, the wrestling's still good on AEW. I will say that the wrestling is very good. The wrestling is very good. Let's jump over to NXT for a minute. Um, I don't want to spend too much time uh, on this because we're going to talk about Hell in a Cell. But I, we, in in the spirit of this, looking at the Wednesday Night War. <laughs> I want to give NXT its due, and I really want to, because guess what? It's better than Dynamite. As I suspected, and I, I, I said it would be, and it is. And the number one reason you've already stated earlier, and you may not have even realized it uh, in this particular context, but they have the better talent. You know, there's not a 50-year-old champion you know, who who is getting by on what he used to do. You know, it's NXT. NXT is the alternative. It really is the alternative. Now, yes, yes, I hear all of you, hashtag dear listeners, yelling at your, your listening device right now that Vince is going to ruin it now that it's on USA. Yes, I agree. It's going to happen. Hasn't happened yet. And because it hasn't happened yet, you've got two hours of badass NXT programming. Uh, Leo Rush, uh, Mr. Pay for Play, um, he actually takes the belt off of Drew Gulak. And, you know, this match is like pay-per-view quality match. I really like Drew Gulak. I wish he had been, been able to... I really wish he'd been able to retain his belt here. But it was an outstanding match. Rhea Ripley, your girl, your girl, Rhea, Mm -hmm. looking ever more like somebody from a Mad Max movie and taking on Aaliyah. eh, That's not not necessarily a, a great match. But Rhea Ripley's great, and Vanessa Bourne is great. Leave Aaliyah in the back. Let Vanessa Bourne fight Rhea Ripley. And I'm still telling you, uh, Disney on whatever your streaming service, if you bring back Daredevil, you're doing yourself wrong if you don't cast Vanessa Bourne as Typhoid Mary. 
Um, <laughs> I think we made that we made that joke when we uh, watched the uh, May Young Classic too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, or was that I, one? I, was I, she in one? I think she was in one. Yeah. Yeah. She I was the first so. one. Yeah. She she looks like Typhoid Mary. She she looks more like Typhoid Mary the more that time goes on. I mean, she literally looks like she's walking out of a Frank Miller drawing. Like she she's got such an amazing look, which will do wonders for her in pro wrestling. Sure. You know, you got sure. that look uh, that goes a long way because they love to put your face all over a city every April. Uh, you got to have a face worth putting on billboards. Well, sure, and she can come out to rock sets. She's got the look as well. Oh man, oh that is a sexy song. Vanessa Bourne coming out to rock sets. She's got the look. Sign me up. Easy, Darren. Easy. Katie, bar the door. Uh, Cameron Grimes. I don't understand what the gimmick is. Is he like an old school medicine man? Is he a carny? Um, I don't understand. You're not gonna say it. You, you're not gonna say his his apparent Leon Russell gimmick. You're not gonna say that, Darren. I thought for sure you would have made that connection. Um, wow. You know what? His Southern medicine man look. Uh, man. Oh, Darren. Yeah, right. You right. disappoint me, Darren. Um, now I'll never not think that. So thank you. Well, there you um, go. Cameron Grimes, of course, formerly known in Impact and PWG and all over the indie circuit as Trevor Lee uh, from the Cult of Lee. And we saw him a long time ago back in the old um, back in the old Hardy compound days, uh, back when Matt Hardy was the, the one time in his career that he was good. Um, Killian <laughs> Killian Dane still looking like a, a a Virginia ham that's been dropped on the kitchen on a dirty kitchen floor. That's a mean and, thing to uh, say about someone, Darren. Punishment Martinez, my least favorite wrestler, um, now of course going by Damian Priest. Uh, <laughs> his promo, his promo. <laughs> I just love you. Like NXT is a superior show, ladies and gentlemen. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the dad blasted middle. I get that. And here's the thing. Damian Priest, a.k.a. Punishment Martinez, a.k.a. my least favorite ROH wrestler of all time, uh, and that's <laughs> saying something. Uh, this promo that Damian Priest, this was straight out of, like, hardcore TV. This was 1996 ECW style promo. It's like a step up from those stupid like cell phone promos that WWE was trying to do there for a little while. Um, but definitely a step down from your typical uh, pro wrestling promo these days. Um, no, no commentator, no announcer, no one asking him questions. Just like I'm a wrestler. I'm in a place. There's a cameraman. He's recording my promo because in pro wrestling, we trash talk. You know what I mean? It's not a hidden camera. It's just, this is what we do in wrestling. You know what I mean? It reminded me very much of old ECW hardcore TV stuff. So first thing Damian Priest has ever done that I was on board for. So maybe he's trending upward. There you go. Um, apparently, he's going to be going after Pete Dunne, who is moving permanently to NXT. From NXT UK. 
So that's going to be interesting to see Pete Dunne uh, every week um, on a two-hour NXT on USA. That's pretty cool. Finn Balor officially returns to NXT. He's full-time NXT roster member. That's kind of huge, especially when you consider the fact that uh, you've got Velveteen Dream and Tomasa Champa and Roderick Strong as the North American champion, but Adam Cole as the NXT champion. And you've got Isaiah Scott, formerly known, of course, as Shane Strickland, uh, a.k.a. Swerve. There's a whole – this is a, a pressure cooker of top guys that I hope all stay right where they are. Sure, sure. And now that they're on television, there's no reason to move them. I mean, like like we've said, they're right. already moving people from the main roster back to NXT because they're so much more effective there. And now it's not a punishment, Martinez – um, oh. it's, uh, it's, it's actually, it, it's a good thing. Everyone benefits from it. They don't lose, well, they, they lose some eyes just because Raw is a more popular TV show, but still, you know what I'm trying to say here. Uh, but yeah, Roderick Strong, I mean, well, you, you, you just mentioned something that we need to kind of touch up on. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa, you include his name because he is back from injury. Tommaso Ciampa, I don't know if he's wrestle ready yet, but he certainly did get all up in the grill of one Adam Cole Bebe. Uh, recently on NXT television. So that's very cool that he's now back in the picture, uh, which makes me sad because I hate that Johnny Gargano was ever NXT champion, not having beaten Tommaso Ciampa for the title. Uh, to me, that's still a, a misstep, a rare NXT misstep. Uh, beyond that, Roderick Strong is the new North American champion. Uh, we, didn't, we haven't talked about that as well. Uh, defeating Velveteen Dream, obviously with the help of his friends. Which means that the uh, Undisputed Era, they have all the gold, which only reinforces my thought of they should have had a woman join the stable long ago, so that way they could also have that gold and truly have all the gold in NXT. Of the gold brand. I could not I could not agree more. Um, I will say that I think we're probably looking at some sort of uh, specialty match, maybe Champa and Dream versus Strong and Cole. Or maybe Champa Dream and some tag team versus the Undisputed Era. I think that would be excellent. I think that would be a very killer eight-man tag match. I don't know who that would be. Maybe the Street Profits. Um, that would be cool. Um, or even cooler, as much as I like the Street Profits, even cooler would be somebody brand new. Somebody fresh and new. Um, I will say also, in this show that was super stacked with the championship uh, changing hands from Gulak to Leo Rush, with Pete Dunne moving over, uh, with all this with the Undisputed Era, Champa return, Velveteen's talking, Finn Balor, all this stuff is happening, Swerve is on there, and you still also have Kushida versus Walter, and it's like, with all of Imperium at his side, of course, Marcel Barthel, Fabian Eichner, and Alexander Wolfe, and God, I could not like them any more than I do. <laughs> I love Imperium. Man, they're good. And um, with all of that combination, that's the best wrestling show on television. Start to finish. Uh, you can't touch that show. That NXT was so much better than Dynamite that it is just like, it's a no contest. Much I like the ending of the Hell in the Cell main event with The Fiend and Seth Rollins. Again, I'll get into that later. 
Uh, well, uh, the last thing I really have to say about uh, about NXT is what makes it so much better is it is it, it is all that we're looking for. I think it's it, the discerning wrestling fan can find what they want to find on NXT. As far as a single show goes, by flipping around all the various offerings, you can find more than what you want to find. But usually it's piecemeal. You just want to pick, if you had to only pick one show to watch wrestling, if you're an old school wrestling fan who still likes their current product, I, 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 NXT is the way to go because it's everything. You've got the WWE physiques because WWE simply demands it and they have the performance center. You've got the WWE money, the WWE production value, but you also have wrestling. You have real wrestling, some of the best wrestling in the whole world, in the whole industry. And as a result of that and the makeup of the roster, it still has an indie feel and it also has indie cred. You can't ask for a better combination than that. WWE money and indie cred put all together to make a, a killer roster and then you get a two-hour weekly show. I'm telling you, man, I've been you. You and I have been on the NXT train for years, but it's never been better than it is now. It's it's absolutely incredible. And and I think until such time as Vince screws it up because USA, <laughs> you know, because what's going to happen is not everybody the 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 average child, the average seven or eight year old who might watch Raw blindly each week isn't going to do that with NXT. They're just not. And when the numbers aren't what USA want them to be, Vince is going to screw it up. But until that day comes, NXT is the best wrestling in the world. Sure, sure. I mean, not just the men roster, but the women's roster too. I mean, compare the AEW women's roster to NXT's women's roster. It's That's not even a conversation. Like, it's just not. So... That's that. Uh, that's us checking in on the, the beginnings of this Wednesday night war. Uh, and that will be interesting to see uh, how things escalate, what happens uh, from here on out. And uh, hopefully both shows will only improve because of the, that's what healthy competition typically does. Um, and it's already kind of kicked AEW's existence, kind of kicked things uh, into gear uh, for NXT, now it has its own weekly show on USA, and obviously SmackDown's on Fox, making uh, they're, they're making changes there, they're doing big things, trying to help uh, SmackDown Live's uh, ratings, uh, and Raw, there's some changes, uh, the draft, that we even talked about that, that's going to be happening uh, probably by the time you guys hear this episode, uh, we'll talk about that next week, uh, we didn't quite, we couldn't cover that this week, but it is what it is, folks. We'll get to it when we can. What we did watch was Hell in a Cell. And Darren and I did not go head to head. Head to head. But we did watch it, so we're going to talk about it. <laughs> Coming from the other side of darkness, this is Holiday, And you're listening to the only podcast that calls it right down the middle of the whole reppin' show. <laughs> On October 6th in Golden One Center in Sacramento, California, a.k.a. UWA Arena. That's for a few of you folks out there. Uh, hell in a Cell. WWE brought Hell in a Cell. Hashtag Hayek. 
hashtag heck in a sec is what some people call it. Uh, yeah. No, no, no one calls it that. Um, I was about to say it may be game changer wrestling. I think GCW probably has a show called Heck in a Sec. <laughs> heck in a sec. Uh, so Hell in a Cell, Darren. It was uh, I thought it was a good show, actually, for the most part. Uh, there was some actual, there was some solid wrestling. I put it on, just kind of like, yeah, I need to watch this so I can talk about it on the episode. Uh, but I was actually uh, pretty impressed. Uh, Natalia versus uh, Lacey Evans went down on the kickoff show. And uh, poor Lacey Evans uh, spent so much time in the women's main event spotlight trying to beat the likes of Charlotte Flair, uh, her twin, and uh, and uh, Becky Lynch, and uh, now look at her. She's on the kickoff show, losing to Natalia. Um, but Lacey Evans does get more and more impressive uh, the more she wrestles. Natalia, she might be boring sometimes, sure, but uh, I've never said that she was not a good wrestler. Natalia definitely learned a lot from her family, and, and she can definitely uh, wrestle a match. So, oh yeah, oh for sure. Natalia is an excellent wrestler. She's a legacy. But she has she has definitely blazed her own path as well. She has she not only is a legacy, she's a living legacy of her family, but she has created a legacy for herself. And when we look back years from now, um, regardless of some of the the of her rough exterior and some of her just genuine like unlikable uh, ness that has followed her around. There's going to be absolutely no doubt that she was an actual huge part. All marketing aside, she was an actual huge part of how women's wrestling changed in WWE uh, in the 21st century. Absolutely. And there is not a cooler name than Natalia Neidhart. So please, oh, yeah. please call her that. Please call her by her full name because that's just yeah, it's, it's such a cool name. It's a badass name. And then Lacey, people like Lacey Evans are the ones who get to bask in the spotlight that was created by people like Natalia. So sure. I hope that people like Lacey Evans don't forget that because there's a lot of women that are going to be waltzing onto Raw and SmackDown in the next three, four, five years that it's going to seem really easy or second nature to them, as it should, but it wasn't that way 10 years ago. And I hope that, you know, they recognize that. I don't want, I don't mean they need to, bow down and give thanks they just need to not forget that this opportunity wasn't always there for women but it is now this is true very true uh with that hell in a cell proper does begin with a gasp hell in a cell match this one is for becky lynch's raw uh women championship she's defending against one sasha banks who calls herself the boss so we have the man versus the boss but not the big boss man <laughs> <laughs> no it's definitely not that uh r.i.p big boss man ray trailer big bubba uh guardian angel oh guardian angel um he really is a guardian angel oh oh too soon. that's <laughs> wow uh the... it's it's not too soon so we have becky lynch versus sasha banks uh obviously becky lynch is is the anti-hero that she is sasha banks is definitely the heel in this match and people are booing her uh, I will say the only bad thing about this match was it went on first because it might be the best match of the night. Um, really, really good match. I, I did. I can't say that I missed Sasha Bank. I missed Sasha Banks when she was gone, only because it seems like they they kept using her without knowing what they were going to do with her. 
Um, so that that's very unfortunate for her. But this made you remember how good of a wrestler Sasha Banks is. And I don't think Becky Lynch is necessarily a great wrestler. She's definitely more of a, a good personality right now. She's a good wrestler, but I would not, oh, I wouldn't man. I wouldn't call her a great wrestler. But I think she's a, I think she's a great wrestler. When she's wrestling with Sasha Banks, like it was it was pretty great. And they thought of some really innovative ways to incorporate the hell in the cell. Um, a couple of a couple of uh, missteps here and there, but that's just that's gonna happen when you're doing things that aren't typically done. Um, but no, the match itself is great, unfortunately. Uh, for Sasha Banks, it does end with her tapping out to the disarm her uh, Becky Lynch's submission move, which I I I think there was a point earlier where Becky had uh, Sasha like basically uh, a choke with the kendo stick, and I'd rather the match ended that way um, than just kind of tapping out to the submission move, like I, like you know something just barbaric and and making Sasha Banks tap out it would have been a lot better than just ah I put my submission move on you and you submit. Um, so I didn't like the way it ended. That's all. No, I can agree with that because it's a it's a specialty match. There should be a different ending, a, some sort of specialty ending for a hell in yeah. a cell match. You don't want it to you know someone just to tap out. Right. <laughs> so exactly. yeah, extenuating circumstances can can give special results. Sure, and, and for a match that was a big bang, it went out with the whimper. That's all. Yeah, that's very true. So with that, uh, Becky Lynch retains that Raw Women's Championship title. Moving on, we have a Tornado Tag Match, which means uh, all wrestlers get to be in the ring together. There is no tag format. Tornado Tag Matches remind me of like wrestling video games, because you have to make that choice. It's going to be regular yeah, tag yeah. format or Tornado Tag. Uh, tornado Tag Match, Roman Reigns with Daniel Bryan taking on Luke Harper and Eric Rowan, the, the Bludgeon Brothers, but they're depowered. <laughs> no, they're just two guys, Eric Rowan and and uh, uh, Luke Harper. Um, you know, let me, let me chime in real quick to say, if there's something I don't like about what's happening right now with the fact that there's some pretty drastic between three network WWE shows and dynamite, there's a whole lot of character changing just overnight. Um, and some things that are being done and then being undone. And I don't like that because that reminds me of the bad, bad, chaotic parts of the end of WCW. Whereas, like, from week to week on Nitro, Brian Adams could be a different character. Like, everything was different. I mean, as much as I absolutely hate him, uh, Ray Lloyd is a good example of how he was Glacier, 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 Glacier. And then one week he was just Coach Buzz. And it was like, what? <laughs> was Taz Hayashi was still running around wearing Glacier's stuff so it wasn't like they said Glacier never existed suddenly it was just no here's this guy his name is Coach Buzz and it was clearly Glacier well, the- and you know I see that and like I worry about that when I see like uh, Harper and Rowan especially Rowan in the ring with Daniel Bryan and it's like uh, and then Bray Wyatt's also on the show later, and it's like he's still Bray Wyatt, but he's not. And there's Harper and Rowan, but they're not. And Rowan was just this other character with Brian with Daniel Bryan, but now he's not. 
and you know, and then I think about like Killian Dane over on NXT. I, I just want them to be careful. I think that changes are 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 necessary. They have become increasingly necessary because the last couple of years have been so weak in certain areas. But if you make too many of them too drastically and too quickly, it, it really starts to reek of desperation. Um, not to mention like inanity. Well, it's all, it's jarring because you've established these characters and now you're telling me it's not the character that you've already established. It's right. It's like you're, you're replacing one of the actors that plays someone, you know, like, Oh, Terrence Howard is is uh, is James Rhodes. Uh, uh, no, no, Don Cheadle is. Oh, okay, no, no, I see what you're saying. Okay, great. Um, it, it's kind of in that vein. I will say one thing about Killian Dane. Killian Dane minus sanity, I don't care about. He's just a mean madman, and there's not a whole lot to him. Also, back to what you said about Glacier when he lost his gimmick <laughs> to Kazayashi, which is brilliant, by the way. Only illustrates that Glacier's outfit was more more successful and more popular than Glacier the man himself. Take that, Ray Lloyd. Schweppes moment. Another Schweppes moment brought to you by Schweppes. Schweppes, a sparkling tradition since 1783. Ah, yes, cool, refreshing Schweppes. Delicious. We love them. You know, only an idiot would not drink Schweppes. Um, <laughs> I think that's their slogan, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it is. And it's just a picture. <laughs> it's a picture of Ray Lloyd. Oh, my God. <laughs> a picture of Ray Lloyd holding a picture of sh- of a can of Schweppes with the no symbol around it. <laughs> so the, Schwe- the Schweppes advertising has a no Schweppes in it. But you have to you have to read the, the you have to read the slogan along with the picture. Only an idiot would not drink Schweppes. That's beautiful and I want that to happen. Uh this is Texas Tornado, no tor- no tag format. Uh Roman Reigns and uh, Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan's nice again, Darren. Just he just is uh, because he got new, he got new kick pads, and it, it yeah, changed, yeah, it changed his mood. Harper and Rowan beat up on Daniel Bryan, so now he's nice again. So we we like him again. Um, so there's this match. The match is decent. It's fine for what it is. It's exactly what you expect it to be. Um, it's not a barn burner. It, it's a it's a good match. It's it's raw main event quality. I would say. Um, and at the end, Rowan and Brian do go over on Harper and Rowan. Luke Harper, who came back recently, by the way, and that was kind of surprising that he did, um, cause he had a lot of issues with WWE and his booking. That's why he left in the first place. Came back, he did it about face pretty quick. He was back in WWE pretty quick. And I'm sure he said, just don't maybe job out to like Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan. All right. And they went, oh, okay. And then he lost immediately to both of them at the same time. So anyway, um, <laughs> Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan are the, the victors of the match. No titles are on the line. They just bragging rights and they, they have an awkward, it's awkward because no one wants to see it happen. Hug at the end of the match. Like there's, there's going to be a handshake. Oh, I guess that was actually kind of cool. There was going to be a handshake and people were like, no, boo, boo. Can't tell if they're booing Daniel Bryan. who's are so mad at him or they're starting to re boo. Uh, Roman Reigns. Now that he's been back for a, a while now, uh, we don't know. We don't know who they hate. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a little confusing. Guess what? Guess, but guess what, guys? We don't care who they hate. We're gonna do whatever we want to, anyway. Basically, so. yeah. 
So there is no handshake, but instead Daniel Bryan goes for a for a hug, and it was it was kind of like I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, Daniel Bryan's like, you know what? It's just nice to wrestle with my friend Roman Reigns, you know, because you know he's had issues recently. So uh, you you get a hint of that, and I think the WWE universe was a little bit more like more soft on that end, more like, oh, okay, fine, you know, clap, whatever. Uh, moving on, we have Randy Orton versus Mustafa Ali, and a who gives a shit match. Uh, oh my god Perry if we had a nickel (laughs) we had a nickel for every time a Randy Orton match was called a who gives a shit match not since his uh his uh what was it called the the horrors match the the the, the House of Horrors match, <laughs> Randy. I know you didn't already forget the oh name of my specialty House of Horrors match. I can remember if it was a House of Horrors match or a sublet of Horrors match or whatever we kept saying it was going to be. Um, I, I say who gives a shit, one, because Randy Orton, I don't care, and Mustafa Ali, I guess they're still trying to make that happen. But the the bigger picture here is that they would never let Mustafa Ali go over on Randy Orton. Are you crazy? So well, they did they did let Rey Mysterio go over on Batista once. It's true. Uh, this is true. But Mysterio obviously has some sort of blackmail on Vince McMahon because he is able to pop up and wrestle whoever he wants and win most of the time. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's not much to say. Randy Orton hits the RKO on Ali, and, and the match is over. It's a good match. It's fine. Um, Randy Orton is a competent wrestler. I just don't care about him. Um, and Ali is a very good wrestler, but again, I don't. I, there's not a whole lot to him beyond the the light up mask. Kind of kind of a glacier thing going on with Mustafa Ali. Only Mustafa Ali is actually a very talented wrestler. I, I will say that. But once the the gear goes away, it's like, and you're just a guy. Well, because they won't give him a character. They uh, being named Ali is not a character. Having uh, a mask is not a character. I'm, that's why do you think Enzo immediate? Why do you think Enzo Amore was the hottest thing that ever happened in 205 Live? Not just because he is good, but they gave him the opportunity to be good. I think that's what's been good about Gulak is he's the closest thing to entertaining in the cruiserweight division in a long time. Uh, Ali probably could be. He might not be, but he we, we don't know. He hasn't been given the opportunity to to shine. Sure. Except for the, the mask he wears. It lights up. It, it does shine in the dark. Except for the light, bright, light, bright. <laughs> That's what I think of, too. I mean, uh, they, they don't give him an opportunity to shine unless he is literally shining when he comes out to the ring. Um, after that, uh, women's tag team titles on the line. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross are your champions, and they're defending against Asuka and Kyrie Sane. Speaking of light, bright... Um... I wonder what other toys WWE might be able to incorporate into a gimmick. What if they did it with Teddy Ruxpin? I don't know how they would do it, but it would be good. <laughs> Women's tag team titles are on the line here. Again, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross taking on Asuka and Kyrie Sane. A very, very good match. When it comes to Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, I think everyone is just waiting for Alexa Bliss to just turn on Nikki Cross. But I think the way you get around that, Darren, is you have Nikki Cross turn on Alexa Bliss. 
That's the smart money. Yeah, that's yes, that's that's what you do. Or you if you find out because Alexa Bliss has used so many people to like get what she wants. If you find out Nikki Cross just use Alexa Bliss to get what she wants, I think that's kind of a that's kind of a turn you don't see coming. Uh, that would be brilliant. That would be brilliant. Also, a turn you don't see coming is Asuka and Kyrie Sane going over on these two ladies. Uh, becoming your new women's tag team champions. Uh, Asuka doing the green mist in the face uh, of Nikki Cross uh, was great. That was great. And I love that she had like the dye pack kind of hanging out of her mouth at, like the like, after the match was over, like getting her hand raised and still kind of like chewing on it a little bit. Um, Kyrie Sane does like, a little cute, like, like uh, kind of like, you know, uh, get some of it off of her mouth for her, you right. know? Like you got a little something on your face. But Asuka like kisses her hand. And it's kind of cute and kind of sensual at the same time. And it's kind of like, what's happening here? Um, but anyway, <laughs> I, may, maybe my own perverted mind thought that. But it was kind of like, oh, that's cute. What, what's happening here? Um, so, no, it's great. Uh, they needed to give these two something, especially Asuka. By the way, Asuka still super over, by the way. I am very happy to see that. People have not gotten tired of the Empress of Tomorrow. Uh, she came out and people people still pop for her. And when she was in the ring, beating up the likes of Alexa Bliss, people were still cheering for her. So um, I, I love that she's still over. I think people are still on the fence about Kyrie Sane, only because she might be a little too out there. Um, yeah. But Asuka, Asuka's a believable badass and exotic, you know, to the, the, the audience. And she, she it hasn't worn off, which I really like, even though they've kind of misused her for a long time. Um, so it is what it is. So new, uh, new, new champions here. That that's the first title change of the night, I believe. With that, we go into a, a six man tag. The OC. Ugh, I hate that name. You're gonna think of the fucking TV show with Mr. Barton every time, and you know it. Well, that's what I, what's happening with me. Sure. Okay. All right, here we go. Here we go. Mm, what you say? Right. Yes. I, I never actually watched the show, but I know it exists. But. Uh, AJ Styles and uh, Gallows and Anderson take on the Viking Raiders and a partner of their choosing, which turns out to be Braun Strowman. Uh, so <laughs> they basically, uh, Viking Raiders and Braun Strowman basically dominate this match. It's not even close, making Gallows and Anderson not look great, making AJ Styles look like a, a sack of crap, basically. Who's, that, that's the curse of the U.S. Championship belt, by the way. For some reason, they give it the U.S. belt and say, okay, you have that. Now shut up while we destroy your character. Yeah. No, that, that's actually incredibly accurate. And I, I will say, though, that this is a cool match, though. I like this match because, to me, this is one of those showcases of talent. One could argue that all you have to do is turn on WWE programming or look at a transcript of WWE programming, and every WWE show is a showcase of talent. I get that. But to me, a showcase of talent is not who you have signed to your roster. It's what do, matches do you make? What matchups do you take advantage of? And this is one of those that, on paper and in reality, is really cool. The fact that at one time, They've got these six guys under contract and they all have their little, they all have their unique pasts and they have their all interconnectivity. Uh, and I think it's really cool. Like those are six top notch 
wrestlers. Those are six top-notch dudes. And so I, I like this match. Like, I really like this matchup. If you said three years ago this match would ever happen, it'd be like, man, you'd have, there'd have to be a lot of chess pieces that get moved for that to happen. But here we are, and all these guys are under one roof and wrestling each other. I just hated how one-sided it was because it made, like I said, the OC not look great at all. No, um, I, I, I get that. I get that. But just on paper, it, it is, it's really... On paper view, Darren. Yes. I think it really illustrates my point uh, about WWE could be phenomenal. Like it hit, they could hit a grand slam every time their TV shows came on the air. And for some reason they don't. Well, they are phenomenal by association because the phenomenal AJ Styles is on that roster. Darren Beasley. So Viking Raiders and Braun Strowman do go over on the OC. Uh, just bragging rights here. Nothing big. No titles uh, change hands. U.S. belt stays around the waist of AJ Styles. Poor guy. It's the curse of the U.S. title. The Continental title, if you will. Uh, after that, we go uh, backstage. <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> Thank you. We go backstage where Tamina Snuka sneaks up on Carmella, rolls her up, and takes that 24-7 title off of Carmella. And uh, Tamina Snuka is now your 24-7 champion. Moving on, Chad Gable who's mad at King Baron Corbin, I guess because Baron Corbin defeated Chad Gable for the uh, the right to be King of the Ring. Not that it's brought you know Baron Corbin a lot of luck. He was basically uh, <laughs> made fun of uh, and, and put down pretty strongly by uh, one Dwayne The Rock Johnson on the debut episode of SmackDown Live, uh, as well as uh, Becky Lynch. So poor, poor Baron Corbin, he's just kind of getting poo-pooed on no matter what he does. And you know, you know, and I know that I, uh, I I'm alone with, with this opinion about <laughs> liking Baron Corbin, but I think now he's never he isn't and never will be the man on the microphone that Dwayne the Rock Johnson is. But when you see somebody like the Rock and they're in there and they're doing their thing and then he's the Rock and like you know, he's not only the the highest paid actor in Hollywood and he's the most electrifying man in sports entertainment and he truly changed wrestling uh, for the brief time that he was in it. And then somebody like Baron Corbin gets on the mic. Okay, they might not be as electrifying. There may not be quite as much star power in the actual voice, the sound of his voice. But the ease in which Baron Corbin speaks on the microphone, I think, needs to be given some recognition. He is a good mic worker. He's, he doesn't always say the best things, like, but he's good at it. Like, he's really good talker. Well, to be fair, well, to be fair, he's had a lot of practice because they've made him talk a lot on uh, on the air, so. Uh, he, but, he is he is good at it. He's good at kind of harnessing uh, the the crowd's, uh, I guess, typically anger toward him and kind of like reacting to it and knowing why they're upset with him and all that stuff. Which there was a lot of that during this match where he's just talking to the crowd, addressing them as you know his subjects because he's the king and all that. And he he dubs Chad Gable what Shorty Gable? Is that? Uh... I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it at all. It makes. It makes me furious. Well, fair enough. Uh, and, and the fact that they're 
going with it like it's a thing. Right, right. Well, Chad Gable, there's definitely people a lot shorter than shorty Chad Gable. Uh <laughs> Uh, I, I will I will say that, but uh, anyway, Jack Abel is a very good wrestler. Again, it's unfortunate they made him look like everyone else, uh, but he at least does go over on Baron Corbin for what it's worth. He gets his ass kicked by Baron Corbin backstage later on, but uh, he does win the bragging rights to say that he beat King Baron Corbin uh, at Hell in the Cell 2019. Uh, speaking of backstage, Tamina comes running from backstage into the audience uh, passing by the uh, the international announcers, and um, I guess Carmella and our truth are in hot pursuit, and uh, Tamina hides behind Funaki, the Japanese commentator uh, Funaki, former WWE wrestler Kaiantai Funaki. Uh, Hell yeah. Hell yes, Kai and Tai. And, and Funaki, we trust. Kai and Tai gives me all the the goose flesh, man. Like, it takes me back to my happy wrestling place. 97, 98, oh my God. Kai and Tai and Val Venus and Choppy Choppy UPP. Oh, we all remember where we were for that, yes. <laughs> Big Dick Togo. The first time I saw Big Dick Togo do a senton bomb long before Jeff Hardy bastardized it into a swanton where he taps you with his ponytail as he flies by you. No, Dick Togo came off the top rope and dropped his 220 pounds on you. Like a swanton bomb is a real man's uh, top rope maneuver. Sure. Uh, sure. No, I, I agree with that. Uh, so time. So t- <laughs> easy, Terry. So Tamina is basically using uh, Funaki as a human shield, preventing R-Truth from uh, attacking her and grabbing that 24-7 title back. But then something odd happens, an odd exchange between Funaki and R-Truth, where R-Truth starts to mimic doing kung fu moves, karate moves, the wah, and uh, doing the, uh, the, the crane kick stance from Karate Kid, which, by the way, should not fly uh in these in these times I, I wouldn't say it was kind of like yeah i can see where someone might get upset at that that's uh that's not cool um but of course no one said anything but uh yeah well because it's wrestling where racism survives where racism is all right um but uh it's enough of a distraction for carmella to sneak up behind tamina and uh knock her out and roll her up for the belt back so carmella is your 24 7 champion again uh... <laughs> See, I would have much rather Funaki ended up with the twenty-four seven. And I was and hoping, I was hoping that's where that was going. But no, well, just put it back in Carmelo again. Like maybe Funaki or Jacques Rougeau. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no, it's oh, not Jacques Rougeau. No, Raymond Rougeau. Yeah. You know, so like maybe Funaki or uh, Raymond Rougeau, uh, because they are both former WWE championship you know, title holders, uh, maybe Sean Ding, or maybe one of the two most handsome men in the world, the two guys from India. Yes, I said that. I said that. I was like, man, <laughs> those dudes are like super handsome. Like, what is going on over there? Um, <laughs> speaking of the Rougeau brothers, I, I've never been able to say this on, on the show, and I and or any other show for that matter. Um, and I've always wanted to, every time I watch old wrestling, which is pretty frequently, a gimmick that was way ahead of its time, when the the Fabulous Rougeaus were the all-American boys, oh my god, Darren, 
That was such a brilliant gimmick. And they came out to that song, All American Boys uh, by Jimmy Hart. Oh my God. All of that. All of that was so good and so ahead of its time where they were officially from Memphis, Tennessee by way of Quebec, Canada. <laughs> it's like, yes. And the song, the, the, the lyrics to All American Boys is just so brilliant. Everything oh, about yeah. that. Everything about that is so great. And the thing is, like, it's the only subtle thing that WWF ever did. Yeah. I mean, it, if you were paying close attention, it wasn't subtle. But if you weren't paying close attention, you might not pick up on it. Like, sure. that's the thing that it was just subtle enough that it was like, these assholes. <laughs> like, really? Really, guys? Yeah. And it's probably one of the, um, one of the, catchiest WWF themes of all time. Forget Real American. <laughs> uh, after that, we get some uh, SmackDown Women's Championship action here, Darren. This is not a Hell in a Cell match like the Raw Women's Championship was. This is just a good old Fashkin wrestling match. Uh, Bailey, who is your SmackDown champion, stepping in the ring with Charlotte Flair. Charlotte Flair, maybe it's my 4K television, Darren, but it seemed to me, and I'm a guy who would not, who does not notice this about about uh, ladies or anyone for that matter. Uh, it seemed like her bronzer or tanner was really messy because it was just slathered all over, like her, like the the top of her chest area, and like her her face was just white as a sheet, and the rest of her was like orange, and like but like you can see where like it was applied kind of hurriedly. Uh, I, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but maybe someone else watching the, the broadcast with a, a decent TV may have noticed what I noticed. I thought it was, like, comical. And it took me a minute to kind of get over it. Uh, <laughs> so, there's that. The match itself, though, is very good, obviously. Bailey is a good wrestler. Charlotte Flair is a great wrestler. Um, even though this victory, and I, I mean victory for Charlotte Flair, does make her a ten-time women's champion which is absurd that she is already a 10 time woman's champion if if i can say anything let me interject i'm sorry don't forget and don't pretend she's going to be around for another 10 years sure she got such a late start that they're trying to cement her legacy in a hurry that's not to say that they don't always do things too fast and that, in a way, this is probably just that again. But I think somebody steering the ship is like, you know, Charlotte could probably go away at any time. Because she's also, and this might hint at the bronzer thing, you know, Charlotte, I mean, Ric Flair is an emotional man. Charlotte is just as emotional, if not more, than her father. And in addition to the fact that she got started in wrestling late, and she's already now been in wrestling for quite a few years, and so her clock is already running short, you also have to remember that, like, I feel like Charlotte Flair is the type that could just walk away, have a really bad pay-per-view, and just not come back. So I think that, yes, it, it is kind of shocking for a second to realize she's a 10-time champion, but she might only ever be a 10-time champion. You know what I mean? Like, well, I think Charlotte's career could end at any time. Well, especially now, she headlined WrestleMania 
and she's a 10 time champion. There's not a lot left for her to do. Um, right. But I would be, I could totally see her walking away in the next 18 to 24 months. Well, fair enough. Uh, the only thing I will say about, I mean, Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks, uh, Charlotte Flair, Bailey, it's, it's any combination of these women wrestling is going to be a good match. You know, it, it's going to be very good to great. Right. These are sure. four very talented women. They're probably the four, arguably the four most talented women in wrestling right now. I will, I you know, arguable again. Sure, sure. Um, but what I, I what I love, I, what I love about this, where it's probably going, is you want to tear the four horsewomen apart as much as possible, make them hate each other, you know, and 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 there's no way they they could ever work together, or ever see eye to eye ever again. Here comes the new four horsewomen from NXT, UFC, MMA. You know, um, Baszler and and um, Ronda Rousey and and uh, Jessamine Dukes and and Marina Shafir, and now oh they're here. So now the four horsewomen have to put their differences aside and they have to battle. Like I love where that's going. Like I, I'm looking forward to getting to that point. Also, it's nice to see them fight someone else. You know what I mean? So I, I love where this is ultimately going to end up. But you know, in the meantime, we we'll get good matches. But I, I I see what you're saying about Charlotte Flair. It, I mean, if anyone becomes a ten-time champion, it's kind of like, well, who gives a shit? Anyone, you know, whether it's Charlotte Flair, whether it's you know Ric Flair, whether it's Hulk Hogan, whether it's The Rock, you know, whether it's you know Shawn Michaels, whatever. Who cares anymore at this point? And you think about all the people who were never champion once who deserved it, and you get kind of angry at that, but. It is what it is. It is a very good match. I think a lot of people were like shocked and upset that Charlotte did win because it's like, hey, why'd you do that? But on most pay-per-views, some belts have to change hands. Otherwise, it just seems like nothing really got accomplished that night, you know? So uh, for better or for worse, Charlotte Flair is a 10-time women's champion. Good on her. Again, I think she's one of the best wrestlers. Not just women wrestlers, one of the best wrestlers going. Um, so... Good on her. She is now champion. Uh, kind of an awkward ending with Bailey. She's upset. She throws a tantrum and she's kind of crying. Um, I thought Sasha losing did it better, where she doesn't cry. She just looks like like very put off and just upset. I think when women cry at the end of a match, I don't, I don't want to say it makes them look less tough, but it kind of does in a wrestling capacity. You know no, what I mean? it does. That, that's the thing is. Um... <sighs> I don't know. It, I, in a patriarchal society uh, in the 21st century in the United States, in the in uh, a combat sport, um, there are going to be some expectations. There's going to be some biases, and one of them is that, well, women cry. Okay, well, all people cry. Um, you know, but women crying. Uh, so when they do, it's not shocking. It is shocking when, like, when a man does. Like Shawn Michaels breaking down the boyhood dreams. You know, like, <laughs> Shawn Michaels crying because of winning the championship. Like, the expectation is that men wouldn't cry. So he does. So that becomes a special moment. Sasha Banks not crying. That becomes a, a tough moment. Like, it's memorable for her not crying. So I'm with you. So Bailey crying, it just becomes a little, it weakens her a little bit. Well, and, and she's already the, I'm so happy. I'm so friendly. 
So it makes her soft. Sure, sure. Um, and actually, to to back up what we're saying right now, um, with with Bailey, kind of, she's kind of like, oh, I'm tough. I'm, you know, I like hugs and all, but I want to hug you until I hurt you, until you pass out, you know. So th- th- there is something there. There is kind of more of an edge, I guess, to this newer Bailey character. But when she's on the outside crying and she's like sitting down on the, on the floor crying for a long time. The WWE universe begins to react to it in like a, a comforting way, where you he, you hear people yell, "It's okay, Bailey, you you win it back, Bailey." Like they feel bad because they're seeing right. a woman cry, so they're like literally going into damage control. Like it, it was very, it was very like, oh, the WWE universe legitimately felt bad. Like, don't cry, Bailey. No, it's okay, Bailey. Like it was like, oh no! Like she's supposed to be tough. You can't, you can't do that. Um, so anyway, th- there's, there's that, there's the commentary on that. But um, that match was good, and that's the end of the good matches, folks, because that takes us into the main event of Hell in a Cell, which is in a Hell in a Cell. It is your champion Seth Rollins taking on the Fiend Bray Wyatt, and. Uh, there's everything wrong with this match. Um, I will say one thing. The Fiend coming out with the Bray Wyatt lantern, only it's stuffed inside of a Bray Wyatt head, and it's it's in the mouth of the head, and the, I think the eyes are like sewn shut or something like that, was gnarly. <laughs> that was awesome. That was really, really cool. Um, and- I'm really happy, because there, there was some blowback after its first appearance where they said, oh, that, that we're not going to be seeing that lantern anymore. That's pretty grisly. That's, that's pretty gruesome. But, awesome. but it works because that's what The Fiend is. Um, the Fiend has been showing up on Raw, making life hell for superstars like Mick Foley, uh, Kurt Angle, Braun Strowman. Uh, took out Braun Strowman, of course, attacking Seth Rollins himself. Uh, and now we have the match, which has that red hue you know, it's not like the the lights don't come back up for the actual match itself. Like the red hue stays, which already kind of makes it discombobulating to watch and kind of like oh wait, there's, there's a fucking Instagram filter over this entire match. Are you kidding me? Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised that wasn't like an Instagram filter for a night. But anyway, um, so that already kind of makes things weird, like indifferent, and not in a good way. See, I I understand why you would say that, and you're not alone in saying that. But I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb here and say that was the best thing about it. Oh, wow. Because to me, and I know, God, I really am turning into, it was better back then. I really am turning into that guy. But to me, that red hue, it it made me think of the Inferno match between Kane and The Undertaker. But it was a red light, but it was a brighter red light. This was like a murky red where, like, it was hard to tell what was happening. Oh, no, I I understand the shortcomings of this particular night at Hell in a Cell. I, I totally get it. But sometimes I need things. I need them. I truly need them to be significantly different. And even if this was a misstep, it was an attempt to do something different. Hell, the Inferno match that I just so lovingly recalled, that was a huge misstep. It was terrible. But we remember it because they tried to do something crazy. And it was crazy. Uh, And that match, it stands out in my memory as it looked and felt different than anything the WWF 
was doing. And so did this. I mean, the, I, and so therefore I liked it. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, the match itself, um, there may have been some good wrestling in the beginning. I don't even remember anymore. Um, it's, it's obvious that the fiend has this supernatural ability to basically not feel pain. Um, because Seth Rollins hits, uh, hits him with, you know, I think a chair, maybe a kendo stick, um, well, well, several, several illegal objects, uh, which are legal by the way, in a hell in a cell match. For those who don't know, a hell in a cell match is like, you know, whatever happens, happens. There's going to be a decisive winner no matter what. Ask Ooh. Mick Foley who fell off the cage twice and you know there was still taker still had to pin mick foley to win the match um and not to mention numerous other times where people have fallen off the cage and tried to top that and god you know not to mention fall mcmahon (laughs) so um so we had this match and after seth rollins hits the fiend with god i lost count of how many curb stomps he hits but it's got to be over 10 Oh, yeah, I think it was like 12. And by the way, the audience is totally behind The Fiend. They're booing Seth Rollins because The Fiend is such an over character and they just want The Fiend to win. And what better way than at a hell in a cell, uh, at hell in a cell, for the championship for him to beat Seth Rollins. But it's obvious, even though after every curb stomp, you know, um, Bray Wyatt, The Fiend, is still getting up. And the audience knows that, oh, it's just going to take a lot of them, but eventually he's going to stay down. They're starting to boo. They're starting to boo Seth Rollins because they want The Fiend to do something. But for about 30% of the match, Bray Wyatt just sits motionless or lays motionless in the ring because Seth Rollins is trying everything. Pedigrees, uh, curb stomps, he hits him with uh, a chair. Then he pulls out like a, a like a table or a ladder. Yeah, a ladder. And like eventually folds the the, <laughs> the chair into the ladder. He grabs the sledgehammer that um, Bray Wyatt had, the Fiend had, which is a weird looking kooky mallet slash mailbox sledgehammer that he has. Um, and he uses that and he eventually grabs a sledgehammer from under the ring, which I guess is supposed to represent like Triple H and all the times Triple H would win unfairly, you know, uh, and... Um, He's he has the the sledgehammer. He's going to use it on Bray Wyatt to to hit him to basically hit the chair, hit the ladder with the chair inside to hit the fiend. I think he's covered in chairs at this point. The referee's like, "Don't do it, Seth. That's not who you are. Don't use that sledgehammer." And of course, he does anyway because he he's nothing else has worked so far. So so Seth Rollins hits the fiend, the metal, the pile of metal on top of the fiend, and is disqualified. So basically, there's a no contest and a hell in a cell match where people have literally, ooh, ooh. where people have literally died and come back to life so they can pin someone or get pinned. Uh, but no, that this one occasion there's a there's a disqualification and the match just kind of ends. Which boos all around boos. Oh yeah. Not only that, AEW chance. The 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 pay per view basically ends in AEW chance, and even though like you know paramedics come to the ring, officials come to the ring and check on the fiend, which makes him look like just a guy because he's being stretchered away. Uh, you know Seth Rollins tries to like make sure the fiend is dead, but you know the the fiend I think attacks Seth Rollins or like he disappears and the lights go out and and they try to go like oh but it's spooky it's not over yet but people are just like boo he didn't win the match who gives a shit and it's it's. All they had to do was have, you know, the Fiend say, I don't want your belt, Seth Rollins. I want your soul. 
you know, and just like basically have Seth Rollins beat but not pin him, just leave or something like that. And then yeah. it's like, well, I guess the match is over because he left. He didn't come back. And then that to me. And that, Absolutely, that would have been the best. That, yeah, Seth Rollins would have held on to his title, and you know Bray Wyatt would just have it have it over Seth Rollins. That just know that I beat you. I could have pinned you, and I chose not to. And then it's like, well, you know what, Bray, you couldn't do it again because at Shazabaz in your house next month, we're gonna wrestle again. Um, and that's how you set that up by you know protecting the Fiend character and protecting the champion. You you do both. You do it this way. And- you just and you booking sh- a show and booking a show on Shazabaz. And booking a show on Shazabaz, of course. Uh, that's the most important aspect of that. But instead, you did nothing. You made your champion look weak. You made and and God, the, the ending of that whole thing where he's hitting him with everything took forever, and it was embarrassing to watch. Like I wanted it to end. It's one of those movies where something embarrassing happens to a character in the movie. It's so embarrassing that you feel embarrassed because that's how embarrassing it is. <laughs> That's how I felt watching this match. I felt embarrassed watching it, saying, just end, just end. They're going to know, Darren. They're going to know wrestling is fake. End, end. So. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm 100% with you. And it's actually, hashtag dear listeners, take note. Perry and I don't often side with the majority of complainers. Doesn't mean we don't complain. Doesn't mean we don't have complaints. But it's rare that Perry and I are in lockstep with the majority complaint about a WWE finish. But this is one of them. This is one of the rare examples of if you get on WrestleZone, if you listen to anything or read anything about how Hell in a Cell finished and and it involves complaints, we're right there with them. This, This was... You know, usually one or both of us are able to explain away something or shed new light or give a different perspective or at least find a silver lining. Perry, I think we would agree that's not the case here. No. This is just a plain and simple shit show. Shit show. There you go. And it's sad because the rest of the pay-per-view is actually pretty good. And then this ending was just like, what did I just watch? Bray Wyatt Wyatt deserves better than this. Even if we as the audience don't, Bray Wyatt deserves better than this. Right. And that's kind of like he he lost his championship match in a wrestling capacity. It's like, well, then who cares? Like, he he lost. Should he go back? Should he go to the back of the line now? Isn't that how it works? But no. Well, he's Bray Wyatt. He probably will go to the back of the line. Oh. Yeah, it's true. That's very true. So that is Hell in a Cell. Um... Overall, a very good show, but uh, that ending just left such a bad taste in my mouth. It's kind of like, well, who cares? Like, someone doesn't give a shit in Titan Towers or wherever the fuck they are now. Uh, <laughs> that's that. Uh, that's it. That's how we felt about uh, Hell in a Cell. We watched it and we we gave you our thoughts on it. But, ladies and gentlemen, what are your thoughts on it? Did you enjoy the show? Let us know. There are a lot of ways you can let us know. Find us on Twitter at Ref and Show Podcast. That's R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Find us on Facebook. Like and share. We'd appreciate that. If you want to, you can even send us a Gmail. Aww. The whole Ref and Show at gmail.com. T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E-R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. Or, or you can find us on Instagram at The Whole Ref and Show. T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E-R-E-F-N 
That's the weird part. S-H-O-W. <laughs> the whole Reffin show. And that is that. I believe episode 13-7 is in the can, Darren. We did it. We came back, just like we said we would immediately following the last episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hate what I always say. We'll definitely see you next week, folks, because that means something will happen and we won't come back the next week. But we're uh, getting our groove back, much like Stella, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, hey, we're just a couple of we're just a couple of Stellas trying to get our groove back. <laughs> just a couple of Stellas trying to get our groove back. And uh, bear with us, folks. We will get you this show weekly, bringing you your hashtag Wrestle News and hashtag Wrestle Views, much like it was in the good old days. Uh, so we will be back next week, folks. That is the plan. But until then, I'm going to remain Perry Smith, and I am going to remain the incredible badass that is Darren. And we both hope that you will remain hashtag dear listeners to the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. The whole reference show. We'll see you next week, folks. So long. Bye-bye.